Welcome to After the Deluge. I am Justin Cox. I'm Wide Awake It's Morning was released on January 25th, 2005, and it hit number 10 on the Billboard 200. That's big time stuff. Uh, Indie kid from Omaha, Nebraska, playing with his friends and starting up a record label. To that, that's a big arrival of sorts. And becomes not only a musician at that point, he's kind of part of that cultural moment, whether he wants to be that or not. I bet there's no simple answer to that question. He's sort of seizing that moment with this record, or at least it feels like it, and also questioning and resisting and kind of feeling uncomfortable with it at the same time. I've grown tired of holding this pose I feel more like a stranger each time I come home So I'm making a deal with the devils of fame Saying let me walk away What's interesting about this record is that it's the most accessible, the most immediate, the most sort of palatable to a general audience. Probably the first one you would show to someone, depending on their like musical uh, proclivities. But it's quietly the most political one, at least up to this point. I mean, he played in Desaparecidos and he he'd played When the President Talks to God, but... Those early records are very like Conor Oberst is at the center of of all of them. And now he's one character in a crowd of people. This is just as much about everybody else as it is about him processing the world around him, which is in this weird, volatile social and political moment. And it's also he kind of freshly moved to New York City. So a lot of these songs, you you feel and see New York in these songs. Um, That train that takes you from East Village to Brooklyn, that train goes, you guessed it. Underwater. I always get lost when I leave the village, so I couldn't come meet you in Brooklyn last night. But I sing glory from my lowest. On Lua, he's walking between late night parties cold, getting ignored by taxis, uh, kind of feels like one of those moments that's simultaneously uh, the best time of your life and also extremely miserable and with someone else who's even more sad. And then on Old Soul Song, he's moving through the city into the throngs of a protest. Both these songs we get into heavily with my guest in just a little bit. We get several mentions of a mysterious yellow bird whose meaning I'm not sure of and kind of prefer it that way. Theories abound on the subreddits and songmeanings.com and Genius and Facebook groups of the world. If Connor Oberst has talked about it, I haven't encountered it. And you know what? I'm not looking. And I never thought this life was possible. You're the yellow bird that I've been waiting for. End of paralysis. I was a statue, now I'm drunk as hell on a piano bench. And when I press the keys, it all gets reversed. The sound of loneliness makes me happier. Oberst was kind of anointed as a sharp lyricist prior to this record, and for good reason, but. Oftentimes on those records, the words were kind of competing for attention with a lot more instruments and dissonant sounds and all kinds of other stuff happening. On this record, we're recording straight to tape, most of the time live, and the lyrics really sit at the front of I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. It's the closest you're ever going to come to calling Oberst's voice pretty in the traditional sense, and in addition to that, the subject matter is a little more mature, quote-unquote. It's less... Um, People who wanted to call him emo would have a harder time doing that at this point. Although it's very funny to be saying those words like 20 years later when Bright Eyes is down in Vegas playing an emo festival or playing what part of an emo festival can be played without getting blown away in a windstorm. But this record is taking its cues from 70s folk rock music way more than it's taking it from emo or even indie music of that time. Like, just listen. So I go back and forth forever. All my thoughts, they come in pairs. Oh, I will, I won't, I doubt I don't. I'm not surprised, but I never feel quite prepared. And 
something I love about this record, which plenty of guests have kind of talked to as like the normie Bright Eyes record, which I don't necessarily deny, but also just don't see as an insult or discount it in any way. It's great. Uh, is that it's it's that until it isn't at the very end. And my guests and I go deep on a bunch of these songs, but we didn't we didn't talk a ton about Road to Joy. And Road to Joy kind of takes everything it gave you for the first 40 minutes and then just blows the fucking lid off of all of it. Uh, you get wild, wild horn section. You get Ober screaming for kind of one of the few times on this record. You get you get him saying fuck. You get kind of all of it. It's kind of all condensed at the end, and I kind of feel like it's a weird little trick he's doing that's like anybody that's finding this record through first day of my life or something like that, um, this is my little indicator to you that it ain't all that. And I think it would have felt weird to throw something like that right in the middle of the record, but as sort of your like punctuation mark at the end, I think it rules. I'm going to save that cacophonous end of Road to Joy for the episode itself, so stick around. My guest today, I'm excited to say, is Michael Tedder, whose writing you can find in Stereo Gum, The Ringer, Esquire, and many more fine publications. He also has a book coming out next year called Top 8, How the MySpace Era Changed Music Forever. Michael interviewed Connor Oberst for Mel Magazine a couple years ago when Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was came out, and I'm Wide Awake It's Morning came up in that conversation. And Oberst mentioned Jackson Brown in that interview, and Michael mentioned Jackson Brown in this conversation, which is just beautiful, you know? That's what we call synergy here. That just works on all levels. Please take a moment to rate this show and leave a nice review. You can find me on Twitter at Routine Layup, and you can send me an email at justincox22 at gmail.com. And here's my conversation with Michael Tedder. Michael Tedder, thank you for joining After the Deluge podcast. How you doing? Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Always happy to talk about Bright Eyes because my friends and my wife heard me talk about this about Connor for very long and they could use a break. <laughs> okay, good. Well, this is a chance for you to release all of that, to spare them. Thank you. Your Bright Eyes fandom predates mine, as does many people who love Bright Eyes. Like I'm a person who kind of came on, came in through a little bit fevers and mirrors and then lifted and then... Yeah not afraid to admit that it was sort of like fell in love hardcore with this record. Um, There's no shame of that. No shame whatsoever. And, uh, but you, it sounds like had seen him as early as like kind of early two thousands. How'd you find bright eyes? And we'll use this as our way to kind of find our way toward on wide awake. It's morning. Okay. So my bright eyes uh, origin story, as it were, uh, you know, I was basically decided when I was a teenager, I was going to be a music journalist. I started writing record reviews or, Pop culture journalist, he said, being pretentious. <laughs> uh, I started writing record reviews and that sort of thing for my high schools. And I was like the arts editor of the college newspaper, had friends at the college radio station, went to shows all the time. And I kept hearing about this band, Bright Eyes. And I heard, I think they played with The Faint at a house show, but I didn't know they, I didn't know about the house show because I wasn't, I wasn't quite cool enough to know the dude who did the house shows. <laughs> uh, the rumor was the guy literally had was studying punk for his thesis. I can never t- I honestly to this day don't know if that was a joke or not. But uh I definitely heard a lot about them. I read about them, I believe CMJ and Spin. Around what year are we talking? 2001. And then that summer I had internship at Men's Health, the first time I ever got to go to New York. I opened an experience and cliche alert. I went and bought Fevers and Mirrors at the New York record store other music. Yes, I did do that. Tight. And I didn't quite get it right away, but I enjoyed it. And I managed to buy it and get into con- a, a Bright Eyes a week or two after he played this uh, venue called the Village Vanguard. It was his early tour where he very famously, I believe, wore a tuxedo and as a backing man, all of women in prom dresses. Uh, if you ever find those YouTube videos, they're a hoot. I wish I'd been there. Um, yeah, I've seen those. I'm from Orlando, Florida, and I went to college in Columbia, Missouri, between St. Louis and Kansas City. So I could definitely, you know, relate to that Midwestern feeling of being done, of feeling uh, bummed and isolated. Yep. And, uh, you know, plenty of teen angst, plenty of romantic foibles, as there were. Summer 2002, one of the best years of music ever, if you ask me, and you did. <laughs> and still, to I still insist, uh, Lifted was the best summer record of that year. 
I graduated college. I moved back home. Had like one or two friends, but we were kind of outgrowing each other. Well, one friend was outgrowing the other. It was not. Uh, certainly no girlfriend. No real idea what I want to do with my life other than make it as a writer. And he's using air quotes reader because uh, he was very far away from figuring out how to do that. But I knew I saw they were coming to play the local venue, uh, the social in Orlando. I went, as you as you know, it's your podcast. Ad record has like, it's basically a freaking orchestra of indie rock. And on this very tiny stage were 20 people, like string player, keyboard player, three guitars. I was like, it was nuts. And the whole feeling I got was this is momentous and important. Like this is your band right now. And I'm going to get a little political here. 2002, you know, a year after 9-11, you could definitely tell shit was going really bad in this country. Uh, reader, if you don't like when people mix politics and music, just turn this podcast off now and never read anything that I write. And you can definitely tell things were going bad. It was a very scary time. And I was getting freaked out. I think I freaked out my own personal life, freaked about the way the country was going, freaked out we were about to head to war. Uh, just freaked out everything, man. And Connor definitely mirrored that frustration and sadness and like, what the hell is going on? And then like people were heckling him because they still, they would go to his shows to heckle him. I have no idea why. I think it was either A, he made people uncomfortable because he was so open with his emotions. I don't make a certain type of really a man who doesn't have an easy relationship with his masculinity very uncomfortable. Or they were just jealous because he was a hot dude who clearly got laid a lot. You know what? It's both. Yeah, it's both. There was like we were in a weird place. Even I was as a person who loves a lot of his music now. But I was wrestling with the idea of what I didn't know what emo even was, but I knew I didn't want to be into it. Even though yeah. I even though I listened to a ton of emotional music and some of my favorite music, even then, I think it was just sort of a I don't know, it's pitted against punk in some way. Yeah. A lot of emo bashing when you look back on it, and I did for my book. Um, it's just coded gay bashing against straight people. Okay, anyway, you've been really great and thank you. And uh, this is our last song, it's called Let's Not Shit Ourselves. <laughs> Let's not fucking defecate in our own pants. There's a lot of people shitting themselves these days. We're not gonna be one of them. And then I got a job that I hated writing like real estate for some place in Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida is a great place. Don't, want, don't get me wrong. So I didn't know anyone there. And so I was like, well, I have nothing to do. Bright Eyes is touring. They're doing one date in Orlando, one date in Tampa. I'll go to both. Screw it. And uh, the Orlando show is definitely very memorable. It was, if memory serves, and I think I'm correct about this, the week if not the night of uh the launch of the iraq war connor immediately gets on stage and says like they're doing a war now and uh, i'm paraphrasing here but they're gonna keep doing fucking wars all this fucking bullshit and immediately people started yelling at him some guy got on stage tried to rush him and security pushed him off and then it was this incredible show uh and between those two nights, I think of the Tampa one, they ended the set with Robe the Joy. I was like, what is this? This is like insane. It's their heaviest, most cacophonous song ever. day of my life and like i'm not the type of guy goes and that's the hit but you knew like okay it's so clearly yeah it's like such a beautiful simple brilliant song you're like okay wow he's doing it like that 
I, there's, there's no, it's so cool to get a, a sort of like teaser of a song that's to come later at a live show. It's so fun. I love that. I love that so much. Like a couple of years later, I saw the hold steady before boy, a year before boys and girls in America came out and they did like chips ahoy something stations like, all right, now we're doing classic rock here. Uh, around the same time, the next year I went to the Coachella music Valley, 2004, easily one of the best weekends of my entire life. Like the little emo bitch that I am, me and my college friend danced and cried while the Pixies reunited. The Cure, Radiohead, just forget it. Just incredible. Wow, that's gigantic. And uh, yeah, but Bright Eyes was there. I remember he was wearing this black hoodie. I think it was a really stripped down set, mostly stuff from Wide uh, Wide Awake. Because if memory serves, they recorded that album in like a week. And then they spent six months working on a digital ash. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, like, this is really beautiful. It's got to be the sparsest of any of the tours they did, right? Compared to like what you're describing with that lifted tour. Yeah. My girlfriend, now wife, she definitely respects Bright Eyes a lot. She knows he's talented. It's easier now. Back then, the voice was a real barrier to entry for her, which she really likes those classic uh, popular uh, classic styles of singing. Whereas I'm like, as long as I can feel it, man, I don't care if you miss those bum notes. Yeah, dude. This is going to set off everyone's pretentious radar, but whatever, or pretentious alarm. <laughs> as David Byrne once said, great singing can get in the way of actually like believing the singer. And sometimes a flawed voice can deliver truth better. And uh, to add to add to him, not to put myself on the little level of David Berman, but like I think the there it's that and then also if you have a flawed voice you got to kind of find a different way to make a song worth listening to not just have a beautiful voice and yeah i think there's a lot of that in in bright eyes over those years you just described yeah oh david burns said that but definitely david Birdman is a person who doesn't have a traditionally got a good voice air quotes but uh, somehow just makes it work for him but yeah and uh i definitely remember i don't think my wife will listen to this podcast i really care she definitely cried, as did I, during uh, Landlocked Blues, because, God, I can talk about Landlocked Blues, but I feel like I'm uh, blathering on. Well, so this ca- this catches us up to 2005, so we will talk about Landlocked Blues, because we're gonna go we're gonna go in on this record now. What I, here's something that I'm I'm interested in, because you you have a piece in Mel where yes. you interviewed um, Connor that was around the time of um, Down in the Weeds, right? Yeah. Two ago, and so. You, there's actually like a cool spot. I don't know if you had this planned or if it came up organically. I can't remember, but you guys get into um, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning and First Day of My Life in particular. And he says, this is something I've wondered about this record because it's far and away the most popular Bright Eyes record. He acknowledges yeah. it in that in that interview. But he says, like, it's obviously our most popular record, our only gold record, all this and that. But it's just as much of an experiment as all of our other records. And I think he's he's he makes a good point in that, because in my mind, I always thought of it as like, here's the clean, shiny one that people who don't want to hear him like squealing and screaming and and stuff kind of going off the rails all the time. Here's one for them, you know, and it's easy to slot that in as like, here's one to appeal to the masses. But yeah. It's it's also true that he he's talking. It, it's a thing recorded to tape with people sitting in a circle, and it's just a rootsier record. That I I agree with. It kind of recontextualized that record with me. The other thing he says to you is about first day of my life in particular. I think it's funny. It's not a very representative of all the music we've made, but for whatever reason, it struck a chord with a larger audience. And he's kind of talking about just like, yeah, it's this different thing, like. I believe he can write that kind of song any day of the week if he wants to. He's capable and he he possesses the genius and even the pop sensibilities to do that anytime. And he this is an example of him letting himself do it without yeah. any subversion of that, you know? Like I think he knew what he was doing when he's writing that song. Yeah. I don't think he would ever admit that sort of thing. I don't think artists don't like to sound crass about this sort of thing, or they usually don't. But I'm sure he realized, okay, this is my moment. If I can come out with the right album. This accessible but smart that speaks to these times. I could have a hit. And I think he did that. This is the first day of my life. Swear I was born right in the doorway. I went out in the rain, suddenly everything changed. They're spreading blankets on the beach. This is the first pace that I saw. But maybe it was also like, okay, this might be a little bit safe, might be the word. 
And that's maybe also why he made, or maybe just thought it's a little bit too easy because like they recorded in a week. That's also maybe why he made, and this is me getting inside his mind. We didn't talk about this sort of thing, Digital Ash. Which I think half so. That, half of that album is like new wave Depeche Mode style bangers, which they played at the dance night, indie rock, indie rock dance night in my town. And the other half is like weird, cacophonous, really experimental. So it's him having both ways. Like I can please the masses, but I can also still be weird. I haven't lost my edge, you guys. Pitchfork, don't you shit on me. And of course, they kind of did. It's kind of like the subversive sounds are just placed on another record and released that same day, right? Yeah. The experimentation is there, and here's the us playing another kind of music I like, you know? Yeah, but like the lyrics on uh, Wide Awake are, 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 are on some songs, particularly like Road to Joy or like Landlocked Blues or looking at the song title, Old School Song are very in their own way subversive, very much like I feel scared, not a place in America. Uh, oh God, what's happening? And there were barricades to keep us off the street. But the crowd kept pushing forward till they swallowed the police. Yeah, they went wild. Yeah, they went wild. Yeah, they went wild. And yeah, to Connor's credit, I agree with you. That album and uh, First Day of My Life has ensured that for the rest of the time he wants to be a professional recording musician and touring musician, he can play nice-sized theaters in any major city in America and around the world. Uh, unless something happens, that's not going away. And if he wanted to, he easily could have made that album again and again and again. Yep. And a lot of people would have been happy with that. Uh, but instead, he's pushed himself and challenged himself. We'll also be smart application, like, okay, but here's one for the old school fans or for the people. Like, all right, this album maybe didn't quite pop off like I wanted or it was just too sad. So here's here you go. He's 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 a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't and that's fine. You don't keep a recording career going for twenty-five, maybe close to thirty years now. Goodness gracious. For twenty-five years if you don't know what you're doing. Uh but he's smart to make it sound like he's not that canny, and that's very wise of him. Yeah. Uh, when I say puts the subversive stuff on the other record, I mean, kind of sonically in terms of lyrics, what's kind of uniquely a major part of this is that like on lifted, there's the pop like some politics creep into a couple songs, especially let's not shit ourselves, but on the whole, it's still not, it's still not really going there. And then obviously he has talked to Rob Harvilla in the last episode about when the president talks to God, that's its own very deliberately, that yeah. kind of thing. But this record is kind of the first time that there are like four separate songs that are directly addressing the state of the nation. You know, we're, we're yeah. the stuff in, and the stuff in Lua, like what we, what, what the conversation I had with Rob was kind of talking like, well, if you're just going to like grab a megaphone and say political things that doesn't feel very artful, that's, that's leaving something to be desired. I think there's something to be said for that. And then what's beautiful is that this record that he made and and it's around the same time is like, we made love on the living room floor to with the noise in the background of a televised war is like, he doesn't go on to just write anti-war protest songs. It's a total mingling of personal feelings and what's happening in the world, which is like kind of the way you describe yourself young and in Florida processing it at, at that time. You know? We made love on the living Floor. With the noise in the background from a televised war And in that deafening pleasure I thought I heard someone say If we walk away, they'll walk away Killer Mike has this great quote, like I'm a whole man. You'll always see me in the street protesting for the drum Martins of the world. You'll also always find me in the strip club smoking weed to my wife. <laughs> I have a lot of, I'm a multifaceted person. Like, yeah, that song is like, you know, Connor's in love. He has a girlfriend and they like to have sex. He, like, loves playing music. He's also terrified by the state of the world. Like, I love Zach De La Roca, but is he, if he's, Zach De La has ever had a romantic feeling in his life or ever been horny, <laughs> it's certainly something you would never gauge from his music, which is fine. He's expressing that elsewhere. Yeah. For Zach De La Roca, Racing Sheen, and his other uh, bands, are a missile with one message, and that's great. Uh, I saw them back in July, and it was just incredible. I hope Zach DeLaRocca's uh, legs feel better in, in the near future. But yeah, this one is more about like 
I'm a confused, entire album, I'm a confused young man. I'm trying to find my place in the world. And there's just a lot going on. Yeah. If you are into getting a bright eyes zine, some extra content, or if you just want to support the creation of this show, go to patreon.com slash after the deluge. It's just one $5 tier, super simple, easy. Thank you for the support. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, as, as your listeners may or may not know, in 2002, Sub Pop put out this sampler. All their bands at the time, at the time, Sub, uh, Saddle, not Sub Pop, oh gosh, Michael, Saddle Creek right. released uh, Saddle Creek 50. And at the time, Saddle Creek was like, they were the hot young indie, indie label. They had the faint, cursive, bright eyes. And I was so in the bag for them that I ordered the sampler from their mailbox or for their mail order catalog a coffee mug which i still have nice. and rilo kylie's uh 2003 album just sight unseen thing if that's the new south creek band i'm in <laughs> that's how much i was in and you know what i was correct because uh rilo kylie's execution of all things absolute classic so absolute good. classic so you got the coffee mug the saddle creek 50 and execution of all things yes in fact right now this is, this is very random but i'm showing you a drawing of the coffee mug uh my good friend do you see it yeah that's amazing right. listener it's an orange coffee mug with the logo saddle creek on it uh the story is my good friend the writer and artist joan lemay l-e-m-a-y hi joan uh during the pandemic she made her own little uh zine because she's a very creative genius like that as people talking about their favorite coffee mug and i did a little essay about how much i love Bright Eyes and Jane Lewis and Bride Kylie and Indie Rock in general. And uh, she drew a drawing up for the zine and she gave me a copy of the drawing. Um, and then anyways, that sampler had an early version of Landlock Blues called One Foot in Front of the Other. Yep. And even then it was a great song. When they played it live in Tampa, I was like, oh God, it's so great. The moon's laying low in the sky Forcing everything metal to shine and the sidewalk holds diamonds like a jewelry store case. They argue, walk this way, not walk this way. The updated one. In your production, some of the lyrics are a little bit changed, but probably better sung, a bit cleaner, but just beautiful. Uh, my my good friend, John. Hi, John. Also a genius. No, just kidding. Actually, no, he is. You're John, you are a genius. But he he turned me on to Saddle Creek 50. He kind of like made sure I was schooled on that before I went about the process of making a podcast. So yeah. he had that. Very just, thankful for that. Yeah, the Cursive song. And there's a banger. I believe the Riley Kelly song is Jenny, You're Barely Alive. Beautiful song. Um, top three, saddest horn parts in the history of Indie oh, Rock. God. Number three, Bill and Sebastian, uh, The Stars of Track and Field. Nice. That's a bit more wistful. Number two is Landlock Blues. I'm sorry, Connor. I love you, but the number one, it has to be my man Sufjan Stevens, Cosmo Pulaski Day, the little horn that comes in right after the kid dies in the song. Oh God, <sighs> trying to it's think hard. about it. So like, <laughs> it's hard, hard to beat that. And I, have, I, I would hope that Connor and Sufjan are, are friends or at least respect each other. They've never said a bad word about each other, and Connor's not one to badmouth people unless he's extremely intoxicated. And those are always unfortunate incidents. Um, <laughs> That's there, but it, it t- tends to at least, for the most part, punch up. Yeah, not, not laterally at Sufjan Stevens or anything. Parenthetical there because I didn't expect such a a peg to come up in it. But Sufjan Stevens, number one record the year that this came out, number one Pitchfork uh, record on their top fifty the year this came out, Illinois. You can always be like, why did they say this album or this album? And like, I sh- I still do that. Oh, it's it's just to get people to talk. I mean, Pitchfork it's a, it's a hotter third rail than a lot of other ones, but like. It is like you hear just a wild thing. Sufjan Stevens, we're not pitting these people against each other. Number one in the top 50 that year, this record, I'm Wide Awake It's Morning, not on that list at all. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm sure at that point he was just too popular. Yeah, yeah. And Pitchfork has always had, yeah, I even mentioned this in my book, top eight 
How the MySpace Era Changed Music Forever, coming next year from Chicago Review Press. Kara Rhoda, I just uh, plugged the book for the Chicago Review Press for you. I hope you're very happy with me. Nice. Um, now that I've done my plug. But yeah, I did. <laughs> I talked to Mark Richardson, the very smart, nice uh, editor, editor, pitchfork at the time, who stripped him and said, oh yeah, like, I was just too old for MySpace. Like, I understand, like, why Michael Romans was a great, I was too old for Emo. Like, I understand why Michael Romans is a good band in a lot of ways, but if you're, like, 30, in your 30s, you're not going to get it. And they definitely always had, like, anti-Emo institutional bias, which came out probably with Bright Eyes. I'm sure your friend of mine, Ian Cohen, had things to say about that. And also, on the day we were recording this, listener, Pitchfork just gave Dark Monkey's very good new album, The Car, an 8.0, which is kind of their standard, like, we acknowledge this band is still very good, but they're way too popular, and we can't give them the best new music, which they've done to Tim Impala, Vampire Weekend, 1975. It's just how they roll. So it's a yeah. probably a combination of like too popular slash emo. I don't know. First off, I mean, I scrolled through Pitchfork the other day and just kind of looked because a bunch of albums came out that I was excited about last Friday, and and it was like every record was between like seven point four and eight point five. Which yeah. I, is just not the way it sticks in your mind. I think because the the panned ones jump out so much. But this I'm wide awake. It's morning is eight point seven. You know, yeah. it's not in the top fifty, but it's. I think it's even acknowledged in that review. Although it's 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 reviewed, which is a fascinating thing to me. And this actually could be a fun thing to talk about. It's reviewed in in Pitchfork and in Rolling Stone as a shared review. Like I'm wide awake. It's morning and Digital Ash are one review. The Rolling Stone one is Rob Sheffield. It's just, I think it's 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 an interesting way to think about music. Like, are we reviewing and talking about the what this person, this artist is putting into the culture at this moment? In that case, you review both of them. But yeah. if you're reviewing it as two separate records, which they very much are, it's a weird thing to me. Do you want a really unsexy, boring answer? Yeah, let's get it. Uh, I'm sure they reviewed as one thing just for page count, page space, web space. Pay freelancer for one piece, not two. God damn it! Yeah, I told you it was a boring answer. <laughs> it's a, it's less of a boring answer and more of an annoying answer. I, not for not your fault, but yeah, I get, I get, I get, I guess that makes sense. But I don't know. Still, still, yeah. it just feels weird to me. But uh, all right, so let's real quick as you talked about your your book that looks at music and MySpace and everything. If you're bright eyes, you're releasing "I'm Wide Awake It's Morning" on this day, and you have your MySpace page, and you get to feature four songs on it. Yeah. Uh, what four songs are going on your Bright Eyes MySpace music page to to share with people looking at this? The track. All right. Let's say I'm Bright Eyes. I'm Connor Roberts. I realize I'm kind of famous. Like I'm famous enough that like there's photos of me, perhaps kissing Mona Ryder, perhaps just hanging out with her. You know, <laughs> he's a gentleman who would never kiss and tell. We love that about Connor. And like even if he's a, a little bit wary of the star making machine in this industry, as well he should be. I'm still putting my best foot forward, right? I still want to sell this album. Yep. So I'm going to put of my top four, first day of my life, at the bottom of everything, uh, Lucky, Easy, Free, and what was the lead singer single off of Digital Ash again? Take It Easy, Love Nothing. That's what it was. Yeah, that, probably that. Those those would be the four most accessible things. Yeah. Those are the songs that would catch like a random person that clicking out on my speakers. Like, oh, I heard this band is cool. I heard Seth, <laughs> I heard Seth Cohen likes them. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think you just mentioned at the bottom of everything. And I think that that's like Ian kind of made fun of this when I talked to him about fevers and mirrors, Ian Cohen, but like, it's kind of like he has this sort of uh, shake away the casual listener. I did what you described your experience with fevers and mirrors was my experience too, which was I found some things to make me come back to it and eventually fall in love with it. But at the moment be kind of like a little unsure, maybe even graded, but I like, I don't know. But I think part of that had to do with, I didn't know what the deal with the, the intro song was. Mm -hmm. I had a burned CD of this and all I knew is just like, what the fuck is happening right now? And then you get a song, but it's kind of like a little introductory song that, and that happens on all the bright eyes records that precede this. And then when you get this one, you get a story that's not even one minute long. That is in Connor's voice is very clear. And then you bang into a song that could be a single if you wanted it to be yeah. it's so it's so announcing itself as like what this record is something much yeah. more immediate you know we love you very 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 much and then uh he starts humming this little tune and and uh it kind of goes like this it's kind of one two one two three four 
every telephone get eaten off the web Must rip out all the epilogues from the books that we have read Into the face of every criminal strapped firmly to a chair We must stare, we must stare, we must stare I am who I am, and I can't not make I can't make a song. I know I cannot make an album, at least a Bride's album. It doesn't have some kind of weird intro. I have a brand, but I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short. The the intro will tie into the song, and boom, banger right there. Does it? Does it? And and I think it really does. I actually love that intro, but I think I'm I. I mean, I think a lot of people do, but I just. The immediacy. I like I like brevity and immediacy and everything like that. And that song is so goddamn good. And and that intro is so unintrusive and and interesting enough that I don't there are a lot of songs that I'll swipe ahead to from like some skit or something and just get to the song. And I never do it with that song. Yeah, it's great. Part of like, that song. Jim James killing Jim James of My Morning Jacket, they're tight back then, killing it on the backing vocals. While my mother waters plants, my father loads. He says death will give us back to God Just like the setting sun Is returned to the lonesome ocean I believe around that time period, Jim James and Ward and Connor Roberts, before they would do Monsters of Folk, would just like do shows together around New York. So that's kind of how that happened. Um, Great song, very fun video from the time period when uh, Evan Rachel Wood, the actress, was appearing in a lot of alternative rock videos. So she's in the video for that, and she's in the video for Green Day's um, Jesus of Suburbia, I believe. And unfortunately, wow. that trend reached an unfortunate conclusion when she uh, hooked up with Marilyn Manson, but we don't need to go down there. <laughs> but we love you, Evan Rachel Wood, and uh, we hope you're in a good place these days. Uh, so you mentioned the... Um... Jim James, My Morning Jacket, Harmony Vocals. And then yeah. obviously there's the three songs with Emmylou Harris vocals. This is like, I was trying to think about the best way to put this, but this is about my favorite harmony background vocals on any record that I've that I've ever listened to. Like, I, you know how like, I think back in the day when we were kids, like Aladdin or like some voice, some voiceover, like those, those were like professional voice actors, you know? Yeah. And then now these are like famous people, but they might like, they might even be better if they were professional voice actors. Like, I don't know why I'm talking. So I don't know what kind of fucking path I'm going down blind right now, but the, 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 the using the guy from my morning jacket and Emily Harris on this is not some like token. Look at, look at these people are on this record. It jumps off of those four songs. So beautifully like the Jim James, that, that is louder than your average harmony or standing out more than your average harmony. And the Emily Harris ones, I don't know how they went about having her sing on it. I know she wasn't in that room and I know it was like brought to her, but she's like, especially in landlocked blues, she's like kind of just loosely there, loosely shadowing these songs and just sort of like not exactly on, but it's so beautiful and perfect in the way her voice is, but just kind of like casually there. It's yeah. My favorite. And Laura's asleep in my bed. As I'm leaving, she wakes up and says, I dreamed you were carried away on the crest of a wave. Baby, don't go away. Come here. And there's kids playing guns in the street. And one's pointing his tree branch at me And so I put my hands up I say enough is enough If you walk away, I'll walk away And he shot me dead I found a liquid cure From my landlocked blues To some extent, Connor is flexing, as well he should. But uh, showing like, hey, man, I'm the god of indie rock. Here's my boy, Jim James. Oh, yeah, and I got this legend on this album because that's how I roll these days. Yeah. It's... But, yeah, he does it in an unobtrusive way. Uh, I'm sure he's smart enough to realize that his voice is an acquired taste. Although I think on this album he's doing the best he can to sing beautifully. It works for me. Uh, but maybe he's putting his best foot forward. Like, for a couple of songs, I'm really going to bring in Emily Harris because he can't do better. Um, I don't remember which music critic said this. It could be... Tom Bryan, it could be someone else, but say it, but on a 
Tom Bryant from a village voice and stereo gun these days. Yeah. Uh, that definitely on that song, Landlocked Blues, which is this great song, but it's being trapped in America, feeling like the world's falling apart and you just can't do anything about it. Then Lou Harris almost acts like kind of like a marker, just underline every line so you pay attention, you know how important it is. Wow. You'll be free, child, once you have died From the shackles of language immeasurable time And then we can trade places, play musical grace Till then walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away So I'm up back innocence and sex and terror and not knowing how to feel about everything are you allowed to be happy during a nightmarish time like what what is happening just yeah. like underline the absolute confusion of being alive and young and feeling terrified in the george w bush era so you mentioned it earlier but while we're on landlocked blues, the the trumpet, the trumpet yeah, is yeah. the trumpet moment is so fucking beautiful and so, oh yeah, like it expresses a despair and just a deep yearning that as great as Connor is as a vocalist and as a lyricist, he just can't get there. He needs that push to really, really hit that level of ecstasy that the song requires. If you're still free, start running away, cause we're coming for you. Because this album is like kind of made in the mold of like a 1970s gold a gold FM album, like something Jackson Brown would make. He told me once, and like so they're kind of going for that with like more subversive lyrics. Yeah, it's because like if you're a weird subversive band like Bright Eyes is, sometimes the weirdest thing you can do is make a somewhat quote unquote normal album. Like that's what the Flaming Lift started doing for a while, and they went a different path. Uh, you know, you if you get into the mainstream, you reach the normies, and then like kind of like corrupt some of them. Yeah, yeah, sneak sneak some stuff past the goalie while you're there. And I'm sure there's like plenty of like, and I say this like with nothing but love and affection. There are probably plenty of kids who are like, oh, this cute emo boy, I love him, or like oh, I listen to the album, and like these it later on became like dirtbag leftists who like listen to Chapel Trap House and try to get Bernie Sanders elected. <laughs> I think you're probably not wrong that yeah. we've evolved. We've evolved a whole lot in the last 15, 20 years of this country um, evolved and devolved at the same time. But yeah, that's definitely um, true. the, the, uh, and so, yeah, that trumpet is Nate Walcott who at this time formally becomes part of the band. Um, yeah. Just pretty cool. And the thing we never talk about side note, and I don't mean this in any kind of insulting way. I was a teenager in the nineties, but uh, I have affection for this day. It's just, interesting that nate walcott was for a while unofficially a member of the red house Leppers. Like, <laughs> he's never talked about it. he played keyboards in the back of the band uh during the time period when uh john frusciante had taken one of his mini sabbaticals from the band and josh klinghoffer was in it and i think maybe they realized okay if we don't have john frusciante's genius we need to, we need a bigger band so they had brought in like a keyboard player nate and like as a secondary percussionist. I know a lot about their attributes for a reason. And again, I love the peppers. It's very easy to make fun of them and I can make fun of them all day, but don't tell me that's not like a power, the best rhythm section almost any rock band's ever had. But what's interesting is because Anthony Kiedis needs the rest of his voice because he's an unconventional singer, uh, there's plenty of clips online of Anthony like taking a break during the encore and Josh Klinghoffer, uh, who again, I think is a really great guitar player. It's not his fault. He's not John Frusciante. But his cover a song that he liked, you know, there's, their vision uh videos i'm covering Elias Smith's angels covering cat power covering uh the replacements but there's plenty of videos of him covering i think first day of my life he's covered i think he's also covered wow. a few other bright eye songs so and obviously famously uh flea plays bass on down the weeds where the world was so i will simply say if you were to tell connor roberts in 2002 like by the way one day there's going to be quite a circle of overlap between the Bright Eyes universe and the Red Hot universe. I don't know what he would have thought. I don't know why I would have thought, but time is interesting. That's your that's your next freelance piece. Yeah. The the 
concentric circles of bright eyes and red hot chili peppers. That is a botched use of concentric circles. What I meant was Venn diagram. Back to it. But it's weird because like streaming plus time plus like the way we all kind of like listen to whatever we want to. There's no weird contradiction. Like I like like the most recent Pitchforks uh, tops of the 90s list was like my bloody Valentine and Mariah Carey are both geniuses. Deal with it, which is great. That's how it should be. We live in a world where everyone should like just appreciate everything. And there shouldn't be any boundaries. Right. But time is just collapsing to the point that it's like if you're a teenager or like a 20 something, it's like, yeah, Bright Eyes, Roger Lippers, they're both alternative rock. What do you mean? Mm, like, shit. Like this weekend, I believe, is the When We Were Young Festival. And I love Bright Eyes. I won't, I'm not afraid to say it. I love my cold romance. I would say I love the capital L Avril Lavigne, but she's got bangers. We don't need to put our nose up about her. But I'll simply say in 2004, the idea that there would be a festival that would have Avril Lavigne, my, uh, Michael Romance, and Bright Eyes as like the three, three marquee guests, all in the same thing, all kind of representing one genre, representing emo, in quote marks, would be like, what? That's absurd. No, those bands are all like, what? No, this, this is me. And now I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, I'm sure there's some young, young band out there who's like, oh, yeah, those are our main three reference points. And who knows? The band, like, this theoretical band I've created in my head might be awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. It's still weird to me, but that's residual me from the early 2000s bringing yeah. that to it. And it's like, man, what you say about like, oh, those are just alternative rock bands. You're right about that. That's actually a pretty eye-opening thought. But this this festival is also us aging into a period where where we – in theory, ideally have some disposable money to go to Vegas and see that yeah. thing. It's yeah. it's it's there in 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 reality to to collect our money now that we like, I'm not flying out to Vegas for this festival and not to go on a rant, but uh after Travis uh Travis Scott's Astroworld and rest in peace to all those people who were hurt as a tragedy, uh I'm not so cool. I'm not I'm very suspicious of Live Nation doing festivals. Uh basically Astroworld has been a been accused of maybe Live Nation cut some corners as far as security and promotion of security goes. And I just hope nothing bad happens at when we were young. Uh, but yeah, if that festival were in New York and I thought that maybe it was on the safe side, I would probably go, but I'm not flying to Vegas for it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not happening. All right. So we got to make sure to talk about Lua. Because Lua, Lua is, I think, maybe the second most streamed Bright Eye song or or somewhere right there like when you hear first day of my life it just jumps out as like boom this is this is immediately affecting you and and catchy and touching you emotionally everything lua is a slow and somber pretty naked song that is just simply incredible like it's simply detailed in ways that make you feel things i, I feel like it's legitimately popular based purely on all of that not anything i don't want to say that like first day of my life is like cheap melodic hook but it is melodic hook that gets you and and there's something that you can call formulaic about that not not and i don't even say that derisively lua i i kind of think like lua is improbable how how huge and good and amazing that song is yeah i know that it is freezing but i think we have to walk Waving at the taxis, they keep turning their lights off. But Julie knows a party at some actor's west side loft. Supplies are endless in the evening, by the morning they'll be gone. That song in many ways reminds me of their placements androgynous times here comes a regular because mm, the whole yeah. song is basically him like being like okay i'm hanging out with this young person they clearly are keep going to the bathroom to do cocaine they clearly have a deep problem but who am i to judge i do shit too as he said like it takes one no one kid and i think you got it bad and also like it's not what i would recommend but it is a way to live and it's like saying i don't know what i can really do for this person it's like be with them just let them know like I care about them. Yeah. I've been there. Uh, let me know if I can help. You're looking skinny like a model with your eyes all painted black. 
just keep going to the bathroom or say you'll be right back Well it takes one to know one kid I think you got it bad But what's so easy in the evening by the morning such a drag It's just like kind of watching someone destroy themselves and knowing that like you can't save them. Like kind of an version of the triple hook. Like I'm the emo hero boy. And I'm going to save this wayward girl. Like, no, like, no, I can't, you can't save people. People have to save themselves. You can just support them. Absolutely. I think, I think it was maybe on the, don't remember what song, but Claire Carasillo on the lifted episode said like something about all the songs and stories this person te- has told when he's then telling you about a person that he's feeling for yeah. or concerned about There's a, there's a, Something about that feels extra affecting knowing based on like the narrator we have, you know, that I don't know. That song is just rich with its the way it uses its details is like you are on that train. You are feeling that cold. You are in that cafe. You are uh, I it's this is like kind of like. I don't know. I, I, any, I, I've lived in a couple of I lived in Chicago. I lived in Madrid. And any time from the time these song came out when I would be like um, a affected by any kind of substance in any way and moving through a city at night i'm i feel this song it's like it's it's like kind of ridiculous but i do it's also in a very way you know kind of romantic to be young and fucked up in a beautiful in a beautiful metropolitan city feeling like you're invincible yeah and then the next day you realize you're not exactly this one this one does that and yeah his his yeah talking about how this feels the next day it's extremely powerful did you say that this was one of the ones that did you hear this one before the record came out I don't, I think he did it live also. I believe that's, yeah, I think he did it live before, yeah. That's cool. A friend, I think I, I can't remember if I said this on a podcast, but a friend of mine, I got, I got press pass once to go see a, uh, Connor Oberst show in Northern California that was like right before he was going on like ruminations or salutations, mm-hmm. that's the second one, tour and went to that show and it was, a solo show but he had opening act and the opening act was phoebe bridgers who i'd never heard of and this was like a little performing art center and i think he hadn't played lua in a long time similar to first day of my life but she had been getting him to play it during that so i got i thought i got to see lua get played i was like very happy about it as a duet between the two of them it was that's amazing that's beautiful beautiful and unexpected and and they, they even kind of said on stage like i think he said like this is a song i'd kind of grown some distance from but have found a new love for based yeah. on this thing and then they came out and sang it and I was like holy shit in a lot of ways at that show and I'm not sure what the trouble was that started all of this the reasons all have run away but the feeling never did it's not something I would recommend but it is one way to live cause what is simple in the moonlight by the morning never is anything else it feels like we haven't talked to you about on I'm Wide Awake this morning or loose thoughts or notes you have I think before we wrap it up we can't do this without talking about first day of my life a little more um I definitely floated the idea of walking down the uh, aisle to that song, but <laughs> it was a bit too far. Instead, being the absolute basic indie rock bitch I am, it was uh, the magnetic field of uh, the Book of Love, and uh, great song too. But yeah, uh, it's funny. Some are like I know uh, when when I've, I've seen Trent Reznor cover or no, not cover. Gosh, play hurt. But like here's a song that doesn't belong to me. Um, some songs just become so huge, they just escape the artist. They're not really theirs in a way. Even though I'm sure there's almost rarely times in content when Bright Eyes plays venues where they don't do the songs, they have to get the people they want. But yeah, that song has been covered by like Lisa Loeb, Mac Miller of all people. Uh, I think it was sampled by Young Thug. It's weird how much rap people love Bright Eyes, but they appreciate a good, a, good, a smart lyricist telling a story. They appreciate emotion. I learned that from your Mel piece. I wasn't aware that that was the thing that yeah. was happening. Sarah Silverman covered it, I believe, at the funeral for uh, the comedian Harris Whittles. Uh, it's a very sad YouTube clip. Uh, it's just like, you know, sincerity is scary. Just telling a person, like, I love you, and, like, that that's it. 
uh, no guys, no being clever. Uh, and the part then where he just goes like, and we don't need to go into my personal romantic troubles and I'm very happily married, but like this time I think it's different. I mean, I really think you like me. It's like, oh God, <laughs> maybe the best moment in Connor Roberts' entire career is just him saying me. Besides, maybe this time it's different. I mean, I really think you like me. Like, that might be the peak of what Connor Roberts can do with music to a listener affecting their feelings. That might be his absolute power. Because unless you put your guard up too strong, the guy will reach you. If you even meet him halfway there, the man will give you a feeling. Absolutely. And that we talk about that feeling now, but place yourself back in like the era, maybe not in emo, but in indie rock at that time, uh, that kind of sincerity was not being, was not common or rewarded, you know? Yeah, was, that's true. And, and that, that part at the end, of, I mean, first day of my life, I think where we talk about all these vivid details on Lua first day of my life, probably is a song people are walking down the aisle to and dancing to and at their weddings and stuff. It, it's, it's told in a way, time. exactly. It's told in a way that you can absolutely, you can project yourself onto it easily. It's there. Yeah. It, it feels that way. Like, like a, like a lot of, like most of the big pop songs are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then that line, that last line you talk about, there's a moment of like making sure to still be bright eyes and Connor Oberst and this person who's been through it, you know, it can't be easy. There has to be some despair. Uh, to my knowledge, that song is never been covered by like American idol contestant. If that had happened, I think that would have made the blog stereogram rounds. Uh, to this day, it wouldn't surprise me if like some more traditionally quote marked good singer covered it. Uh, some equivalent to Kelly Clarkson or like do a leap of that sort of thing. Just covering a very straightforward top 40 pop song number like getting a smash and like, hey, I'm all for it. If that right. you know, put some money in Connor Roberts' bank account, if that introduced him to a new generation of kids, I would think that'd be great. You're absolutely right. That can absolutely happen. That'd be that's money in the bank for whoever does that. I know there's a time period. I think she may have used down in it, but there's a time period where Taylor Swift is invite guests on stage. And like, you know, there's videos of her doing Taylor uh Tegan and Sarah's closer uh covering, I believe getting jimmy world out to do the middle it's like if connor's down for it he could easily get on stage he could easily do it uh first day of my life there's no reason that couldn't happen if taylor swift is in the national she is most certainly into the bright eyes you don't if you're in the national you're in a bright eyes that's just that's just a given it's a good point yeah that's a good point yeah it's like when i remember when the i remember i was aware of old crow medicine show and song wagon wheel and then like four years later the guy from hootie and the blowfish just picked it up covered it put it on country radio and just absolutely blew up with it you, know? you can't be too defensive you can't you, you don't get a claim ownership over these things it ain't it ain't it ain't even about that no it's just like surprisingly it's just yeah i think you're you're it's astute to say that this song is sitting there to have that done with it yeah. you know i think I'll, i still think it'll happen when you say um where can people find you on the internet things that you've done recently things you will be doing etc twitter.com slash m t e d d e r at the time we were recording this today, I had a piece on the ringer about British television and piracy. You can read more of my work at Michael Tedder, T E D D E R dot contently dot com. And I need to get a more professional writerly webpage before my book comes out. My book top eight, how the Mises era changed music forever will be available by the good people at Chicago review press in August of 2023. And is available for pre-order wherever you like to order your books. Massive congratulations on finishing that and having that. Hey, I really uh, appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. I'm always I'm always down to talk about Bright Eyes and Emo. Excellent. I loved talking to you and I learned a lot myself. And um, yeah, today as I was reading your article about the British TV, I pulled out copies of the British Office and the Inbetweeners that can't that couldn't oh, I couldn't when I first bought them, I couldn't play here on uh on my DVD player. Because I studied bottom while studying abroad cool man well hey justin this has been a blast please hit me up when they get when you get to casadega beautiful love it love all right it. good talking thanks man tell them walk away walk away walk away walk away so i'm back